So over the next four weeks, uh, we're doing a series, a very short uh, series from the book of Psalms. And uh, um, according to the Bible Gateway app and the other, the Bible app, uh, Psalms are the most frequently read book uh, in the whole Bible. And personally, uh, I would read Psalm um, at least uh, every week. I would be in the Psalms reading from this book. Why are Psalms so popular? Why do people love Psalms? I think the answer is because they're authentic and they're honest. They're not just uh, a theological argument. They're actually real people wrestling with the realities of life and the ups and downs and the good times and the terrible times and in that uh, living out their relationship with God and expressing their heart to God. And so that's why it's wonderful to read the Psalms and that's why it's exciting to preach the Psalms. Um, I don't think there's a time in your life or a situation in your life when a Psalm isn't, there isn't a Psalm that's relevant for that situation. Um, so Psalms, uh, the Hebrew word for Psalms uh, is tehillim, which means praises. And um, the word Psalms comes from a Greek word, which is psalmoi, which means instrumental music. The Psalms are literally worship songs, ancient worship songs, many of which that would have been sung in the temple courts. And uh, like, like the, the songs I love to listen to today, I, and the best musicians that I love to listen to are people who tell stories. You know, I like guys like Paul Kelly and stuff like this and Bruce Springsteen, even though he's a bit before my time. But they tell stories and they're about real life. And that's what the Psalms are about. So this morning I'm preaching my favourite Psalm, which is Psalm 27. And I'm going to pray because I, I actually believe that, um, not because of my preaching, but my, my sense is that what I'm going to share this morning, my hope and my prayer is that it, it may actually powerfully change someone's life um, and, and have an impact on the lives of some people here. That, that's my hope and prayer. Not just that you gain some information and go away or think that was a good message, but that it might actually do something in some hearts this morning. So let me pray and then I'll get into it. Father, uh, I, I pray this morning that you will speak through your word and that you'll speak through me as a messenger bringing your word and explaining it this morning. And I pray that you would do something miraculous in this place, even as we come here and gather in the middle of kind of for a lot of us holiday time and, and we're, we're downtime, we're relaxed, we're outside of our normal routines and schedules. Uh, in the midst of that, Lord, meet with us this morning in a powerful way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read to you Psalm 27. And um, where's my thing over here? I can follow it on the thing. All right. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the, sh- in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So, to the rubbish. Uh, This week... I, uh, I decided it was time. It was time to clean out my office. Um, I, I began realising that um, things were crowding in on me. Uh, I had piles of rubbish on my desk. I had piles of rubbish on top of my bookshelf, in my bookshelf, uh, on the floor, um, on top of the filing cabinet, in the filing cabinet, in the gap between the filing cabinet and the wall. I mean, I'm not talking rubbish, I'm talking papers, you know, documents, uh, material, um, all this kind of stuff. Um, so I began doing a massive clean out and I, I cleaned out, I probably, maybe, I've been in my office for eight years now and uh, I, did, I have done a clean out previously, but it was quite a long time ago. So there was a lot of stuff, right? This is, this is full of paperwork. And then having tackled my own um, paperwork and and the rubbish that was lying about, I realised there's this drawer next to my desk, the lower drawer I hadn't touched since I'd moved into the office. And it was full of stuff from before I I took that office. So I began, I thought, right, that's it, I'm going to clean it out. You wouldn't believe the stuff that was in that drawer. I found these things. (laughs) Remember these? Uh, has anyone got a computer that can access them? I, I don't think so. I found, um, bizarrely, I found DVDs of TV shows. I found things like Printmaster Classic 7.0, which is some sort of graphic design app. I found, wait for it, a watch, uh, an Omega Seamaster watch, right? If anyone's been missing that for eight years, like that's a seriously nice uh, Swiss watch. That's probably worth about $1,000. Um, so you never know what you're going to find in your office. I'm not throwing that one out. But uh, as I was going through uh, and, and I'm cleaning stuff out, it began to feel so good. You, know, you begin to declutter and it feels so good. And it's interesting. Do you know that decluttering has become a thing? It's become a business. Like there's people in the world who don't have enough and we've got a business trying to work out how to get rid of our stuff. Um, you can buy books on decluttering. 
You can bring in people, or hire, there's a businesses where they come in and help you declutter. Do you know that? Um, it's amazing. And it's a big issue. And, and I think as you begin to get rid of stuff, um, it's a release. It's like, wow, I'm not tripping over stuff. I've got, my desk has actually got room and, and you kind of have room for, for, uh, for stuff and it feels very um, refreshing. But as I, was, as I was cleaning stuff out, as I'm piling, making this huge pile to start with on my floor, I actually felt like God began to speak to me. And I actually felt like, um, I really did, I, I felt that God was saying to me, Mark, you're, you're doing a clean out of, of stuff in your office. And I, see, and I felt like God was saying, but um, I want you to speak to the church about that a clean out needs to happen sometimes in our minds and in our hearts. And just as we allow stuff to get cluttered in our you know, material, physical sense in our houses, so easily we allow stuff to get cluttered in our minds, in our hearts. We allow garbage and rubbish to build up. And you know what we do often? Like the piles of stuff on my floor, we just work around it. Or we try and squeeze it somewhere. We'll just put it between the filing cabinet and the wall and then, you know, it's kind of out the way. So it'll be okay. We can kind of carry on. But I just felt like this real sense of like, I need to preach about not just kind of like, you know, this physical decluttering is good, but actually God wants us to let some things go and to put some things in the bin and get rid of it. And I really, that's where I really felt like, you know, our God is a, is a miracle-working God, and He actually can take things that we've got stored up and we need to get rid of. And that's what this morning's about. Psalm 27 um, starts off uh, talking, if I go, uh, I'll flick right back to the start. Um, it starts off talking with this incredible um, confidence in God. The Lord is my light and salvation. It's got these two key questions. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It's this great confidence in God, but it speaks in both those um, questions, the, the rhetorical questions, you know, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? The, the answer is no one. He's, he's speaking with confidence. I, I do not need to fear anyone. I'm not going to be afraid of anything. And he goes on to talk about why that is, because he's got God in his life. But I, I, you know, it brought me back to particularly thinking about the garbage thing, about the power of fear and fears that people have in their life and fears that they hold on to. There's a, um, a, a T-shirt brand which is No Fear. People, I don't know if you've ever seen that one. It's probably out of fashion now. No Fear. People walk around like, I'm fearless. But very few people have no fears. Very few people have no fear. Um, Franklin D. Roosevelt, uh, in his inaugural presidential address in 1933, he said, uh, famous quote, he's actually misquoted, he said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Okay, now that's actually not what he said. This is what he did say, expanded sentence. He said, so first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance 
That's the full sentence that he said. I want to read that again because I think that's something we need to hear. Let me first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. So there's a level of fear that's healthy, you know. Um, uh, there's a level of fear that's healthy. If you're, if you're kind of uh, rock climbing, there's a level of fear that's healthy, that keeps you alive. There's a level of fear when you get into a car that's healthy. But what I'm talking about is unhealthy fear, the sort of fear that is like garbage, that clogs up and stops you actually moving forward in life. Fear paralyzes. Fear is toxic. And people fear many things. Some people fear, deeply fear, failure. Some people deeply fear the opinions of others. Some of us deeply fear financial lack. Some of us deeply fear rejection. Some of us deeply fear uh, that uh, we're going to miss out on life, that other people are getting things and we're missing out. Many of us uh, sometimes have a deep and, and fear that goes beyond reasonable about our concern for uh, our children, um, in, in, including adult children. Some of us fear uh, illness and sickness. Some of us have an unhealthy fear of death. As I said, having a level of concern about many of these things is actually healthy and normal, but you can have a fear that actually is deeply unhealthy becomes like the junk in my office. So Psalm 27 is written, as we see, uh, in the context of battle. It's written in the context of battle. A lot of the Psalms were written in the context of David and, and the Israelites constantly being under attack. David, as the king, as the leader of the Israelite people, is speaking out of a context of threat and of battle. And so when he says, the Lord is my light, uh, it probably references the fact that attacks happen in the darkness. When the light is there, the enemy is exposed and there is safety. He says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Again, this is a battle reference. This is a stronghold, is a, a strong tower or a fortified town or city. A, 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 fortif a stronghold provides safety. You know you're okay when you're protected within a stronghold. And here he says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Another thing that I want to highlight here is that David could have said, and he would have been theologically correct to say, the Lord is light and salvation. Do you see that? He could have said, the Lord is light and the Lord is our salvation or people's salvation or is just salvation. But he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. There's something in that, isn't there? And the thing that's in that is that we have a God who is personal. And David's relationship with God is personal and intimate. It's not just a distant concept. It's a personal and intimate relationship with God. I find that interesting because as I, as, whenever I speak with people who um, are not believers and not Christians, I find that so many people are, are, are not atheists in that they have a belief about some level of spiritual reality, if you've discovered that. Most people believe there is 
something, an energy, a, a force, a, a spirit. There is a, the universe. There's whatever name you give it, there's something. Yet for me, the great tragedy is that they miss that, like, it's like they're half right. They're recognizing there's something. But they miss that there is actually a God who is personal, who is relational. And David here, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And the question is, this is the key question of this message, so, so you've got to hear this. How is it that David has reached this point of such great confidence and trust in God? How is it that David is living his life, despite being the fact that he is, if you read the, the Bible, he's constantly under attack from enemies who are attacking Israel? How is it that in the midst of that, he is able to declare with such great confidence, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And, and to just say, you know, I've got such great confidence. Uh, even then, uh, even though war breaks out against me, even then I will be confident. How is it that he has reached the point of such great trust that he's not crowded in by fear, but actually is living with confidence? That's the question. And the answer, uh, I believe, is revealed in this passage, is that it's through David's deep, intimate and personal relationship with God. Okay, through David's deep, intimate, personal relationship with God. So I'm going to talk about three things we see in this passage um, that are the answer to that question. And they, fortunately, they all start with the letter D, which is always helpful. Um, they are, the words are dwelling, dwelling in God, depending in God, and delighting in God. Dwelling in God, depending in God, and delighting in God. Okay, first one, dwelling in God. Can everyone say Dwelling. Okay, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. If God came to you and God came to you and said, uh, I wanna, I'm going to answer any prayer. You pray one prayer and I will answer it. I guarantee you, I'm going to answer one prayer. What would you pray? That's an interesting question. What would you pray? God says, you got one prayer, and I'm going I'm to answer that prayer. What would it be? You're going to pray for wealth? Oh, no, you're too spiritual for that. You're going to pray for someone you know who's not well, who's sick? Maybe. You're going to pray something for those of you who have children, might be inclined to pray something for your children. What would you pray? One prayer. One prayer. This is what David prays. This is his prayer. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that telling? Isn't that unbelievable? What's his greatest heart desire? Not success, not security, not safety, not wealth, not comfort, not a church that thrives, not his greatest desire is this, that he would dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, you've got to understand context here. What he's saying is not that he wants to come to church every day, but in his time, the house of the Lord, like God literally dwelt in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And he wants to dwell in that 
He wants to be in that holiest place where God, he wants to be near the presence of God because in that place, God's presence literally dwelt on earth. Okay, in the temple, in the holiest of holy places was where the presence of God. And before that, there was this tent, the tabernacle. God's literal presence on earth was in that place. It's very different to today. And God's not more present here than at the back of the room or at the back of the room compared to outside. But what he's saying here is that he wants to be in the presence of God. And uh, I came across a couple of quotes this week that I felt spoke into this message. They were really good quotes, and I'm going to go to them. Uh, it just so happens one of them, they're from our website, our church website, our new church website. And uh, one of them is actually by me. Um, so, <laughs> and the other one's by Robin Carter. But this is what... Uh, we, we put a couple of our favorite quotes on the website, and this is my favorite quote. I long to see our church hungry to know God more, hungry to experience more of God, hungry to press in further and to dive deeper and to stay longer in His presence, and in doing so, to be changed and moved by His glory and power and grace. And I came across that and I was like, what a great quote. <laughs> Just joking. Well, actually, that's what I thought. But I, I thought, um, you know, that's what I'm preaching this morning. That's what I'm preaching this morning, that we might press in and stay longer and dive deeper. And what a thing for 2020, start of a new year, start of a new decade, that we would be people who press in and want to be more in God's presence because it's in his presence that we're moved and changed. The other quotes by Robin, it's actually of a similar theme. He says, resting in the embrace of God's love in Christ is the most life-changing thing we can do. It sets us free to live and love the way God intended when he created us. This idea of if we, if we actually press in into the presence of God, into relationship with God, if we dwell in God, then God changes us and we find security and we find confidence in him. It's interesting when uh, Cain killed Abel back at the very start of the Bible in Genesis, then Abel, uh, so Cain was sent from God's presence. That was his punishment. He's sent out of God's presence. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, there was Moses, and Moses used to meet face to face with God in his presence. And then God says, I'm going I'm to give you the promised land. He says, I'm going to send you up to the promised land. And Moses' response is this. Um, Oh, God says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. He's, God's promise is my presence is going to go with you. And he said, he said to Moses, you're going to go into the promised land, which is what they've been, they're in a desert. And he's promised that they go into the promised land. And you think Moses' answer would be fantastic. Let's go. But this is Moses' response. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. He's like, I'd rather stay in the desert than be in the promised land and not have the presence of God. And this is after God has said, I'm gonna, my presence is going to go. He's like, well, God, I want to make absolutely sure. Can you just promise me again that, that your presence will go? Because the presence is so powerful. The presence of God is so powerful. He wanted more than anything. David, Moses, these great people through Scripture desired more than anything the presence of God. Let's go back to verse 8. Um, my heart says, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Friends, if we want to 
overcome fear, if we want to release fear, we need to dwell in the presence of God. It is a powerful place to, to dwell, to dwell daily, to dwell weekly, to dwell each morning, to dwell each evening in the presence of God. The next one uh, I want to talk about is depending on God. For in the day of trouble, verse 5, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent, set me high upon a rock. In the day of trouble, he will keep me safe. Uh, David's not saying, you know, hey, God's, God's given me strength and now I'm going to go and fight the battles and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be great. Um, he's saying, in the day of trouble, it's God who will keep me safe. I'm depending in God. And I've got to say that... Um, if I go back to dwelling, I know in my ministry in my life, when I dwell in God, that's when I minister the best. A uh, pastor friend of mine, uh, he, says, he says, Mark, you've got to minister from the overflow. You've got to minister from the overflow. You know, if the, the tank's empty, you're not going to minister as well. For, if you're ministering from the overflow of, God's, of presence with God, that's where it's a powerful place to be. But then when I get to depending in God, I know there's also a part of my very nature which is driven to think that when there's a problem, who's going to solve it? You know, super Mark, Pastor Mark, he's going to come in and solve the problem. There's part of me that thinks I want to be a problem solver. I want to be the solution to the problem. I want to do it in my strength. But David reminds me again and again, come back, depend on God doesn't mean I'm inactive, but it means my, the, the sort of center of my dependence is in the strength and the power and the equipping of God. We need to depend on God. Um, he says, teach me your ways, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. He, oppressors. He's like, you're the one that I need to follow your way. You need to be teaching me. You need to be equipping me. I'm depending on you to give me the way, to show me the way. Depending in God is how we overcome uh, fears and have confidence in God. Dwelling in God and then depending on God. The last one is uh, delighting in God. Delighting in God. Um, This is about worship. Worship is the whole overriding theme of the Psalms. The Psalms are about worship. But transformation in our lives begin when we worship God. Because worship brings us before God. And just in a right posture where we say that God is worthy of all the honor and all the praise and all the glory. And worship is transformational because through worship, we are reminded of who God is and what he has done. In worship, we are reminded that we have been saved and redeemed and forgiven and set free. In worship, we are reminded that God is greater than we can imagine. In worship, we stand in the victory with God over sin and death. In worship, we pronounce the truth, God is worthy of it all. And in worship, we make the devil cower and cringe. Worship is powerful. We need to be worshippers. Dwelling in God, depending on God, and delighting in God. So this morning, I want to give us an opportunity, I want to give you an opportunity to come and receive communion. Communion is about receiving something. It's about receiving the body and the blood of Christ afresh and remembering what he has done that has brought our forgiveness. But you can't receive something if your hands are full, right? You can't can't take something if your hands are full. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity, not in any physical way, but, but, but spiritually, prayerfully, to actually hand something over, to actually hand over a fear that maybe you've been holding on to. 
Most of you, if you think about it, probably don't take too long to identify a fear in your life that you struggle with. Maybe it is the fear of the opinions of others, or a fear of failure, or a fear of lack, or a fear for family. Most of you can probably think about something that's the thing that churns for you when you go to bed at times and you, you want to relax, but there's something there that just stops you. But God would want you, his desire would be for you to be set free from that and to hand it over and then to receive his grace and mercy afresh through communion, but to live in the confidence, the confidence in the assurance that the words of Psalm 27 could be your words. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So this morning in prayer, uh, I want to invite you to come and receive communion. But before you do that, and as you do that, and as you sit back down, you might want to take the bread and sit back down and then take some time praying. And then before you actually eat that bread and before you drink that cup, to take some time praying. Say, God, I want to hand something over. I want to release something and I want you to take it from me. And I want you to do that in the faith and the belief that God is a God of miracles and he is a healer and that he can actually take stuff. Maybe stuff that you've held on to for a long time. That would be my prayer. That's why I came here to preach this morning. That people might hand something over and then take up the blood and the body of Christ, remembering what he has done for us. That you might start out this year being set free from something that you have held on to for a long time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would move in this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace and your mercy to us and your deep love for every single one of us. Thank you that you are a God who can be known and thank you that you are a God who wants to just walk deeply with us in life. I pray that as we take communion, we would be mindful and thankful of the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for us and the freedom that he won for us through his resurrection. So I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. David finishes with this. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That is, I will see the confidence, not just when I die and go to heaven, but I will see the goodness of the Lord now. And then he gives this instruction. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Come and receive communion. Uh, in your own time, perhaps we'll, we'll bring the table in. You can come in two lines and go around the sides and back that way. And then take some time praying. Before you eat the bread, take some time. Take it back with you and then we'll drink the cup together. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.